Our guest today is Scott Deans, founder and CEO of B1 Sports, a sports tech startup company that focuses on globalizing access to specialized data-driven training for athletes. Today, he tells us about his story and his leap of faith in deciding to become a full-time entrepreneur. All right, uh, we just started recording. So can you please introduce yourself? Tell us about who you are and what you do. Sure. My name is Scott Deans, and I'm the founder and CEO of B1 Sports. We're a mission-driven company focused on globalizing access to specialized training for athletes and coaches around the world. We're a startup, and we're only 18 months old, but we're running at 1,000 miles an hour and uh, excited to jump into the world of sports. All right. Love to hear it. Can you tell us a little bit more about what this specialized training is? Yeah. <clears throat> so we've developed a training methodology that basically focuses on body mechanics for really any human action, but in athletics or in performance analysis and improvement, we're focused on breaking down athletic actions in order to help athletes train or help coaches coach. Uh, in order to do this, we've developed a technology called computer vision, and it's a combination of machine learning, statistics, and logistical regressions that are all kind of combined into and mobile technology. The idea is that we can provide a technology now to 95% of the planet because of the prevalence of smartphones. And so kind of the trick in all of this is making it simple, making it affordable, and then making it very visual. So these are three elements of the, the, the actual product that we consistently design around. Thank you. Can you give us an example of how a specific person would use this app, would use this product? Yeah, so I'll tie it to my story a little bit. Um, so I was a former kicker and punter in American football. And when I was training 24 or 25 years ago, I would always film myself. And that still exists today. All athletes and coaches are sort of filming everything. But the challenge is that athletes are on the field and they're training, but then they review the film and analyze that training hours afterward and often spend a lot of time in the film room. So there's a disconnect between action and analysis. So we're trying to close that gap by having on-field artificial intelligence that shows an athlete what he or she is doing so that the very next rep is better. So the way that it works is you're training and let's just take kicking field goals and you set up your smartphone. It could be on a tripod or your teammate or your coach could just, you know, press record and film you. And then within a matter of seconds, the technology will return an analysis on how you did compared to yourself as one element or compared to another more accomplished athlete 
And this is uh, what we call comparative training. So the idea is that if you kick 25 field goals, you can see your own consistency and where in your body mechanics you're finding dysfunction or you're finding error across all of those repetitions. So it starts to give you insight on your own consistency and your own ability to repeat what you're trying to build muscle memory for or what you're trying to tell kind of your body to do. Then the neat thing in this is the other side of comparative training is we're using accomplished athletes. So that means we're digitizing college, Olympic, and professional athletes to act as a proxy for younger athletes to train to. So back to our field goal example, if you kick 25 field goals, you can measure yourself against, let's say, a professional in the NFL. And, you know, now the company's pursuits are to create partnerships and agreements with those professionals who want to get behind the mission of training it forward and being able to actually monetize their athletic skills in order to train the next generation of athletes. Mm, okay, very interesting. You told us a little bit about your beginnings as an athlete, but let's dive deeper into your background, your family history, work experience that led you up to this point. So what can you tell us about that? Sure. Um, this is probably a few chapters of a book somewhere that I need to write. <laughs> but uh, so I was born and raised on a tiny boat in San Francisco Bay. Uh, my parents moved from the East Coast to California in the 70s and you essentially didn't have the money to exist in California. <laughs> Uh, but living on a boat was very affordable. Uh, so I was born and raised, spent the first 18 years of my life on a boat, on a 36-foot trawler in just south of San Francisco. And so my childhood was completely different from really anybody I know or <laughs> have heard of other than maybe Huckleberry Finn or something. And so I grew up as an only child, or am an only child. And I like to say that curiosity and creativity was like necessary to not go crazy. So I was running around throwing rocks at seagulls and chasing crabs and, you know, running around barefoot for most of my childhood. Um, and what that did was it just started a an affinity for curiosity and asking great questions. Well, I moved off the boat when I was 18 into a garage and that was an upgrade. Like the garage was slightly larger than my, my boat. Um, but actually got land sickness. <laughs> I did not know that was a thing, which is kind of the opposite of what most humans go through, right? With seasickness. Um, but the garage wasn't moving and it wasn't, you know, swaying in the waves or the wind and um, actually got sick for a while, which was kind of an interesting element. Um, nonetheless, I was playing sports throughout that whole time. And so my parents really supported me by at least getting me to the practice and, or getting me to the games and everything from martial arts to ice hockey and, you know, everything in between. 
you know, becoming an athlete, I think was something that occurred early on, but it wasn't until my sophomore year in high school that I really decided to focus on football. So I was brought up to the varsity team as a quarterback. And then they saw me kick the ball and I became the kicker and they saw me punt the ball and then I became the punter and subsequently made the California All-State football team as a junior. And that's really when it started to become real that I should continue playing football. Ended up getting a Division One scholarship. And then like with any kind of collegiate athlete, the aspiration to go to the pros really becomes your focus. And it was for me where to the point where playing in the NFL was everything. It was the only thing. So I tried out and failed, didn't make the team. And so there was this moment when I had a pretty big decision. Do I pursue my dreams with very, very low likelihood of achieving it or finish school? And uh, after a lot of contemplation, I chose to hang up the cleats and, and finish architecture school. So became an architect, then went on to University of Texas to get my master's in architecture, was designing really cool things across the world, having a lot of success. And then in 2010, the BP oil spill occurred in the Gulf of Mexico, and I was recruited to that as a as an architect, <laughs> which <clears throat> is very odd. A lot of people ask, well, how the heck did you end up at a emergency response for an energy company as an architect? And it was really, it's really attributed to my wife's dad, who just asked me if there was anybody that I knew as an architect that was out of work because they needed somebody to think systematically and communicate ideas across a wide variety of, of people. And I said, well, what's the job? And he told me, and two days later, I was at the emergency, <laughs> at the at the response, um, learning everything about the oil and gas industry, emergency response, and so on. So the next 12 years, I, spell, I spent in the energy industry uh, with BP and had a great time learning things at a Fortune 100 company, global performance management, working with really diverse teams across the world. But again, about two years ago, so this would have been 2020 when COVID hit and all of us were in our homes trying to figure out what's going on in the world, I decided to get my MBA and then uh, went to Rice, got into Rice University's executive MBA. And that really was the turning point into entrepreneurship. So I'd, I've had this idea for training athletes ever since really I was playing and was able to kind of converge all the failures that I had, particularly how I didn't make it to the NFL. And it became the thesis behind the company, which is my lack of specialized training is the reason I didn't make it. And then I started thinking about all the reasons I didn't have specialized training. And it became clear that there is a phenomenon occurring, which is sort of a pay to play phenomenon, meaning your social economic status and your ability to connect with resources and coaches and pay for technology 
enables you to get to a higher level in competitive sports. So this is one of the problems I wanted to try to solve. And I think it's a planetary problem. There's so many athletes out there that could probably achieve a higher level of potential through sports if they were given some of the resources or access to specialized training. So that was the beginning of B1 Sports. And now we're on a roller coaster of, you know, adventure and exploration and excited for what's next. I see. So you're trying to give more athletes the opportunity to get specialized training or in other words, leveling the playing field. Now, I'm trying to get a better grasp of your timeline. When did the idea for B1 Sports arose? Did you go into your MBA knowing that you wanted to create B1 Sports or did it come after? I, I would say it's a 23-year-old idea. However, I didn't know it until two years ago. So... It, it, it's been brewing and it's the convergence of all my life experiences, yet I hadn't formulated that into an, an entrepreneurial opportunity until I went to the MBA program at Rice. And, and, and the reason I say that is you, it was more of a, wait a minute, I could actually execute on this as opposed to a light bulb going off, going, I just got this great idea. Sort of like the idea has been there for 23. So, um, yeah, I think it, it, it was a little combination of, of both. But I would say one of the biggest challenges in entrepreneurship is that leap of faith or the moment when your comfortable corporate career is about to end in order to achieve or enable success in your new chapter. And for me, it was a tremendously difficult decision because I was giving up two careers, one as an architect and as a designer, the other as a, an accomplished executive in an energy industry that was very lucrative. And so, you know, I think in the entrepreneurial world, there's this really tough moment <clears throat> when you have to like truly believe in yourself, but you need to de-risk that decision before you make a life-changing decision like quit your job. <laughs> so it's calculated. It's something you have to be really transparent with yourself, a lot of introspection and self-realization has to go on, or at least it did for me. But what's nice about it is on the other end, when you come to a decision, you should never have regret. And so take the decision that will leave you with zero regret because you win no matter what. Even if your company fails, you still win because you, you took the shot, right? You, you went for it. Whereas if you don't and you stick in your cushy job and you never realize your dream, then you're going to regret it. And that's worse than failing in an entrepreneurial effort, in my opinion. 
So you quit your job as an architect, you quit your job as an executive, and you started focusing 100% on this. Yeah, 100%. It's uh, one thing I would add too is you want to wait until you're sure that you have to quit those things. And the reason you know that is because your career or your corporate job or your previous job or whatever is now slowing you down from your new effort. And the moment you can recognize that you're actually not going fast enough on your new entrepreneurial effort, that's when you know you got a tough decision to make. And I, you know, we, we learn about entrepreneurs that are so passionate about starting their idea that they go, oh, I need to come focus completely 100% on it. So they go and quit their job. And the downside of that is you now have introduced more stress at a premature moment in the growth of your company, which you don't want. And, and there's no right answer when this occurs. It just has to be something that's personal to you and you just have to pay attention to yourself and your own environment and your family and, and then do your best. And like I said, just focus on the decision that leaves you with zero regrets. So before taking the leap of faith, as you mentioned, you said that you have to de-risk your decision. How did you do this? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so the first thing for me was making sure that my idea wasn't just my idea. This is something that entrepreneurs sometimes struggle with because you're passionate about your own ideas. But no, if nobody cares about it, then you probably shouldn't pursue it because <laughs> you know it may not turn into a business that actually is commercializable or, or can, can make any money or bring value to the world. So really the the first elements in, in entrepreneurship that I've found useful are customer discovery, number one, and then product market fit. So in customer discovery, you're going through this really neat process of just asking others whether or not elements of what you want to bring to the world would be valuable. And there's a trick to this to make that unbiased. You have to ask really great questions that doesn't lead the witness. You know, you can't you can't um, tell them about your idea and then say, "Wouldn't that be great?" <laughs> you know, um, you, it, it's yeah. kind of tricky to get unbiased and completely objective viewpoints on what you want to bring to the world. So that, but that's really important. And then product market fit is actually a longer journey because you need to start building prototypes and little pieces of your product or little pieces of your story or service. And then again, test whether or not the market likes what you're doing and whether or not they'd ultimately pay for it. And so you have to go down this road before you've quit your real job. You have to start to de-risk the idea that 100% of your focus, 100% of your funds, your family is going to get behind you on this. And then you make that tough decision. And even still, even at that moment, you've de-risked this situation, but the, the odds are still against you as an entrepreneur. That's the kind of things that, that I did was customer discovery and product market fit. And 
And even 18 months later, we are still trying to secure product market fit. It can always get better and better. So with each kind of growth of the company, whether it's by product or by service or the size of your team or or even doing podcasts and interviews like this, your response from the world is really important. And so I'll be I'll be checking to see if there are any likes or thumbs ups on this podcast. <laughs> <sighs> so B1 is 18 months old. It's a relatively new startup company. Tell us about what stage B1 Sports is currently at and what are your next short-term goals? What's in sight right now? Yeah. So like I said, we're 18 months old. I literally started the company in the second year of the MBA program at Rice. So that it, we went from one human to now seven humans on the team, which in 18 months is pretty fast, pretty, pretty large growth. But part of that is because of the speed at which we're running. And part of that is also strategy because the sports technology market is young yet very valuable. And there's lots of young companies competing in the industry. So we want to run faster than anybody else. But in order to do that, like with any startup, you need money. So my focus mm -hmm. has really been on two really important things, which became really the, let's say the foundation of the strategy of the company. One of those is building relationships. So I like to say I've been building relationships for 18 months and that, that ultimately is what leads to customers. It leads to investors and it ultimately leads to, again, product proving product market fit. So we ended up raising our pre-seed round pretty early in our process, and we successfully raised the amount that we needed to go to the next level. That was just around half a million dollars. And we're now about to raise our very next round. <laughs> so we're gaining investment. We're spending that, those dollars on hopefully the right things, building relationships, building a product and building the team and culture. And so when you're doing all those things and you're moving really quickly, next thing is seed round. So we're just about to open our seed round and we're looking to raise two and a half million. And what that's going to do is basically continue our speed to market and speed to profitability, hopefully. So lots of cool things going to happen. We're currently building the minimum viable product. So as they call it, the MVP, this is going to be essentially an iOS app that, that'll be available on the Apple store, hopefully by end of May. And we're going to start getting it into the hands of athletes and coaches and parents. There'll be a really important process of understanding feedback and taking all of that feedback and incorporating that into the design of the next version. You know, that journey is sort of forever. You build stuff, put it out there, take feedback, redesign, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that's where we are. It's a pretty exciting space. We're trying to manage all of the demand 
So for example, right now we are the bottleneck, meaning even with five employees and two interns, we aren't able to execute through all of the data and all of the opportunity we have right now. So, but there's a balance to executing all of that and growing your team. So it's one of those things where you build people around you that are amazing. And I have like a team that is, I mean, just, I couldn't ask for a better team and I really trust in them and and I hope they trust in me. And so, yeah, we, we work as a unit and crack through decisions. That actually leads me to my next question. You were talking about a team. So can you tell us about the important people that played a big role in the creation of this company? Tell us about the support system that you had either from family members, co-workers, and how those people supported you through this process or are still supporting you throughout the process. Yeah, absolutely. So we had an interesting journey because I had a founder and a partner early on in the process who really was was absolutely amazing. He ultimately learned that it wasn't quite the right fit for his lifestyle and his where he was in his kind of family pursuits and goals, which happens in entrepreneurship all the time. And so subsequently we separated. And at the same time, I found my current partner who has brought a whole new set of skill sets. And we've been really able to ignite the beginning of the company. And this was a little over a year ago. And the neat thing that happened was we wrote a proposal and submitted it to the Rice D2K lab. What is the D2K lab? That is the Rice University data science program. And in that program, we actually were given a small grant to pursue this proposal around artificial intelligence and on, you know, training athletes with computer vision and all these things. And serendipity or, you know, the universe brought James McNaney to us because James was an electrical engineer who was also exploring the world of data science. And he jumped onto this project and James was creating amazing things. And at kind of the end of the project, he reached out and said, Hey, you know, are you hiring? And uh, my partner and I had never even thought about you know, employees or getting other help yet. But the answer was immediately yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, you can definitely join the company. We have no money and we have no idea how to pay you, but we want you on the com- in the company. So uh, fortunately, it aligned with uh, James's intentions as not only a data scientist, but as an athlete. So James, to add to his amazing humanness, Um, He is also training for the 2024 Olympics as a javelin thrower. And so just the amount of combining like efforts and combining what's passionate to both the company and to the individual, it was just a perfect solution. So 
James has now been with us for a little over a year and every day is doing amazing things on the field or on the track and off the track. Then another part of the management team who is a, is a really close friend of mine for years and years is Jeff Sweeney and he's a practicing attorney. And the really neat thing about when putting people around you that you not only trust in their abilities, but they, you trust in them as a human. I remember Jeff said to me, he's like, look, Scotty, I have no idea what you're doing, but I'm going to hitch my caboose to your train and just, <laughs> we're, we're going to roll wherever you're going, let's go. And, you know, that vote of confidence was, was really awesome. And, you know, knowing that we were going to get into some really interesting contractual engagements, writing NIL contracts for athletes and innovating in the kind of ambassador world of sports endorsement and sports training. We had a fun spot for an attorney to write interesting contracts. So and he's done like an amazing job. We've we've now executed, I think, over 12 NIL contracts across eight sports. So really exciting. And we just hired our fifth person of the kind of team and management team, or let's say kind of employees. And her, uh, her name is Ashton Smith. She's a graduate again of sports management at Rice. Super, um, super intelligent, also a former athlete. So she really understands kind of what it takes uh, to not only compete on the field, but off the field. And, you know, we're really excited about what she's going to bring to the table, both by way of diverse perspective, but also just being able to, to go and speak to athletes and coaches and athletic directors and administrators uh, to push us to the next level. So yeah, amazing team. And we're, I think, completely focused on the next group of adventurers that want to join the company. And I say adventurers because <laughs> every day, every day is different at B1 Sports. So yeah, very exciting about the team. Yeah, it seems like the people that you're recruiting have the similar passion for sports on and off the field, like you said. But from what you say, they all bring different ideas, diverse ideas to the table. Yeah. And well, we we want to build a culture of diversity. And so, I mean, we're building a sports company, mm -hmm. uh, even though we're creating a really cool technology and we're creating a really cool product we want to be a sports company. And so, you know, what, what does that mean? It means high energy. It means healthy competition. It means winning and losing and being able to learn from your losses. There's an element of personality. There's an element of ad dealing with adversity that, that we look for, but it certainly doesn't have to be an athlete or a former athlete. You know, we, we look for people who really can think critically and respectfully decline to agree. <laughs> so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We, we want that because it starts to push the thinking to the next level. And so, yeah, we're, we're trying to create a, 
a really diverse and powerful team. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, sounds great. So I would like to thank you for your time, for sharing a little bit about who you are, a little bit about B1 Sports, your company. And it was interesting to know about the entrepreneurship that occurred behind the scenes in creating this company that is still growing every day. Yeah, well, thanks for the opportunity. I'm excited to see where it goes. And I'm going to be looking, like I said, for the little hearts and the little thumbs ups that uh, <laughs> the world can give us. So thanks again. Awesome. Thank you.